Hello and welcome again to another Hokies Press Pass podcast. This is Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, joined by Aaron McFarlane, the columnist at the Roanoke Times. And we're going to talk about basketball this week because that's all that's any on anybody's minds right now with the Hokies making it to the NCAA tournament, making it comfortably to the NCAA tournament, which is sort of a foreign concept in Blacksburg after all those uh, – <laughs> Close calls that they had under Seth Greenberg in the, the latter years of his career there. Uh, Aaron, this is a pretty big deal. Uh, you know, first time in 10 years, I think, that Virginia Tech is in the tournament. Uh, they get in as, as a nine-seed playing against eight-seeded Wisconsin. Uh, just sort of your initial thoughts of the Hokies making it back to the big dance. Well, I should start with an update on that Luigi's Pizza from last week. because uh, Oh, yes, definitely do that. Didn't want to leave people hanging on that. It was just okay. It was not legendary by any stretch. In fact, the best pizza I had came the last day we were there at Penn Station, of all places. Uh, I I texted you at some point uh, this week, and I said that uh, Brooklyn is essentially New Jersey without the craft table, and that, that's how I felt about Brooklyn. It's nothing at all like New York City and what you think about of, you know Manhattan and all that stuff, so... Uh, Beheim, you know, you can take your, your Brooklyn and, and enjoy it all you want, but I'm happy to be out of there. Uh, yeah, this is a big deal for the Hokies, of course. Uh, 2007 was the last time they made it. Uh, they played in Columbus, and UVA was assigned to Columbus that year, too, so I actually uh, got to see both teams, cover both teams in that bracket. I was, year, there, I was there as well. I was, at the, that, uh, I was covering Virginia at the time. That was an interesting uh, little pod they had there. That's right. You were there. That, those were the glory days of the of the hospitality rooms back then. But, uh, yeah, I, I remember getting really sick that week. And the day that they had off in between games, I, I just I couldn't leave my bed. It was really bad. So hopefully we won't meet the same fate here in uh, Buffalo this week. I, I've chosen to go to Buffalo. Our, our, our editor has chosen to send me to Buffalo. I think that's the right call. Now, I, on the other hand, I can I can certainly see the merits of hopping in a car with Doug Dowdy and, and driving south and finding a hot tub in Orlando. But uh, as far as just how big this is for our region, uh, not saying that UVA's games aren't big, they are, but it's just been such a long time, and there's a lot of uh, excitement about what the Hokies have done this year. There's a lot of excitement about what the Hokies potentially could do. You know, we've talked about it before on our podcast here that you know, they're the kind of team that can make some magical, volatile run, uh, you know, through a couple rounds because of the way they shoot the ball. They also get bounced easily in the first round because they're favored or they're underdogs, uh, five and a half point underdogs against your alma mater, Wisconsin. I, I wanted to ask you, you know, I wrote about Wisconsin today. I, I dug up some stats and, and looked at some of their players and, and, and all that. But as a Wisconsin alumnus, you know, what's your impression of this year's team compared to, to some of the recent years of, of, of Wisconsin basketball? Well, it's not a vintage Wisconsin team. Uh, and certainly they had that run there where they had, you know, Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky and those guys, and they got to the, the championship game, uh, you know, knocked off unbeaten Kentucky, and then they lost to Duke, uh, blew a late lead in that. That was really devastating as a Wisconsin alum to watch that unfold. Uh, certainly not on that level not anywhere close to that level. 
Uh, but this is still a pretty good team. I, I was actually kind of surprised by the eight seed that they got. I thought they were uh, shortchanged a bit with where they got placed in this tournament. They were they were 21-3 at one point this season. Hit a rough stretch there where I think they lost five or six of seven uh, and seemed to have righted the ship at the end of the year. They beat Minnesota. They beat Northwestern. Uh, they, they crossed Northwestern about 28 uh, in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, lost to Michigan in the championship game, and all of a sudden they're an eight seed. And I'm looking at some of these seedings, and like, you know, Minnesota is a five. <laughs> you know, Wisconsin beat Minnesota twice, finished higher than it did in the Big Ten standings. It went further in the Big Ten tournament than the Gophers did. They're three lines below the Gophers in their seedings. Uh, that was kind of shocking to me. Maryland, I think, is a six. Uh, Michigan is seven. I could understand them being ahead of Wisconsin, but Northwestern and eighth, they're on the same line. It just kind of baffles, baffling to me how the uh, Badgers ended up in the eighth seed. But, uh, you know, like I said, I don't think they're as good as they have been in recent seasons. They have uh, sort of a big three that they rely on. Uh, Nigel Hayes, Ethan Happ, Bron- Bronson Koenig. Uh, beyond that, it's sort of a you know, typical Badger team where they're uh, really going to be deliberate on offense. They're really going to slow down the pace, play a lot of defense, and uh, you have to be a pretty fundamentally sound team to beat them, which you know I think Virginia Tech can be. Uh, and certainly you look at the Badgers, their one big weakness is three-point defending, and that obviously is Virginia Tech's one huge strength that they bring to this game. So uh, it's a real interesting matchup, contrasting of styles, and uh, you know, I, I have to root for my Badgers. Uh, you know, I, I, it kind of stinks that Wisconsin has to play Virginia Tech. I can't be a fan on Twitter about it because, you know, people just be like, oh, what's wrong with you? Why are you cheering for the Badgers? And like, well, first of all, I went there. So, I, you know, I'm allowed to be a fan about a sport I don't really cover. But, uh, you know, it, it'll be an interesting matchup, I think, in the round one. Certainly one of the more intriguing eight, nine games that I think there is out there. Yeah, you know, they rank 331st in possessions per game. Uh you know, that, that's Virginia territory, basically. And Virginia's 350th, and there's only 351 teams ranked. Uh, St. Mary's is actually the slowest team in terms of uh, offensive uh, possessions per game. So, you know, you, you, you kind of have a familiarity with that style, having played Virginia twice this season, uh, splitting those two matchups. You know, I was on, I went to the uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel site, Sentinel site and I wrote, read some of the uh, – some of the coverage that they had from Selection Sunday, and you're right, the players and the coach uh, were not very pleased with their seating. They pointed out some of the same things you did about some of the other teams in the Big Ten. Uh, Minnesota is, is going to be one of my picks to go down in the oh, first yeah, round. They're out. Where well, they play Middle Tennessee? Yeah. Get them out of there. Middle Tennessee. No, they're not, they're I, not that I, good. Yeah, I have Middle Tennessee going to, to the Sweet 16. I actually think they're very good. They, they led the country this year covering uh, the spread. So uh, in terms of uh, oh, that's one of your darlings then. Twenty-three and ten against the spread, which unless you count Gulf Coast, which went four and zero against the spread because it only had four games that had lines in them. Then in Middle Tennessee State is your your best rubber band banks team of the season. So yeah, I like them to make a little bit of run. That's kind of a weak side of the bracket, but we can get more into the bracket itself later. But I guess you know they they do feel a little bit miffed about where they've been placed, but. On the flip side of that, being the biggest favorite of any 8-9 matchup, you know, they got what the biggest considers to be a pretty favorable matchup in, in Virginia Tech. And it, it's going to come down to whether Tech hits a three-point shot. It's going to come down to whether Tech can stay out of foul trouble. I was looking at some video of that half guy, you know, 6'10 forward, uh, soft, redshirt sophomore, I think he is. Uh, real nice footwork. 
very slick in the post, can score with either hand. Uh, he, he really could cause a problem for, for Zach Liday. And if Zach Liday is a step slow or, you know, is it a little too physical, all of a sudden he's got three fouls, you know, real quick and, and they're, they're all kinds of trouble. I mean, if Liday's on the bench, as we saw in that four state game, in the, in the ACC quarterfinals, if he's on the bench, they're toast. I mean, he's 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 what makes them go. Uh, he's the, really the only post player outside of Hadid C who uh, plays you know roughly ten minutes a game, just basically to spell um, to spell the day a little bit. Uh, so that's that's where you see potential of this going off the rails for Tech. I think is if there's foul trouble, particularly with Lede, but but with any of those guys who's in there trying to rebound against Trap. Uh, I was uh, you, you you know Hayes was the preseason Big Ten Player of the Year. Uh, his numbers are okay. I mean he's like thirteen and a half points, eight you know, six snap rebounds, something like that. He was a third team postseason Big All Big Ten pick. What uh, what have you seen in, in Nigel Hayes this year that would indicate that he didn't you know live up to those preseason expectations? I just think he's inconsistent. Um, and he'll have really good games here and there, and then there'll be stretches where he disappears. Um, you know, he's, he's a, one of those sort of classic Wisconsin players where he's a big guy who can also play outside and shoot. I mean, that's sort of been the, the whole design of Wisconsin basketball for a while is, you know, guards who can post up and big guys that can shoot to make you defend that sort of stuff. Uh, the interesting part about this matchup is, and it's probably good for Virginia Tech, is, you know, Buzz Williams is no stranger to playing against the Badgers. He coached right. at Marquette for six seasons. I think he was three and three against Wisconsin in that time. And, you know, part of the advantage I think Wisconsin has is it, because it plays such a deliberate style. And, you know, you mentioned it's like UVA before. Well, um, you know, when Wisconsin started this run of 19 straight NCAA tournaments, I was in college there. Uh, it was 1999. Uh, the following year, 2000, they went to the Final Four, and I, I actually covered that team. Uh, one of the team managers on that team, uh, you know, wasn't really a team manager. He was sort of a de facto uh, head coach, was Tony Bennett. Uh, Dick Bennett was huh. the head Dick Bennett was the head coach, and Tony Bennett they slotted into the the coaching staff as a you know team manager to to get him on the end of the bench, even though I don't think he was picking up towels and stuff like that. So uh, I know Dick Bennett's not there anymore, but Bo Ryan, who took over, was very deliberate with his style and very slow paced. Uh, Greg Gard was was Bo Ryan's primary assistant for 15 years, 16 years before he took over the head coaching job last year. So uh, there's a lot of similarities there, but that style of play can be. Uh, you know, confounding for teams that aren't used to it and aren't used to defending for 30 seconds every time down the floor and then having to really put in a lot of effort on offense to get a, a, a shot off on the other end because that's just how the Badgers play. Buzz Williams obviously knows how to play that way. He's you know, beaten the Badgers a couple times before. So uh, it's not going to be any kind of uh, mystery to the Virginia Tech coaching staff what the Badgers do out there. Uh, another thing I think is, you look at uh, the one thing that I think could really hurt the Hokies in this tournament was if they had gotten a team that was just going to push the tempo and run them up and down the floor and shuttle guys in and out of the lineup and just try to wear down those seven guys that they play in the game. And, you know, that's not Wisconsin. Wisconsin's going to be slow. Uh, you know, they're not going to push the, the, the tempo too much going up and down the floor. And, you know, they're not the deepest team. And I, th I think even if Virginia Tech gets past Wisconsin, Villanova's not a deep team. I think they only go about seven deep. Ob obviously, they're a much more talented team than uh, Wisconsin is as an opponent. But I think from a, a matchup standpoint, if you're Virginia Tech and your big concern is is depth and obviously size is another factor in that, 
Uh, it, it's probably not the worst thing to have these this first matchup with Wisconsin and potentially the next one with Villanova. Uh, when you look at the bigger picture, I mean, do you think this is sort of a favorable draw for the Hokies? You know, I don't know about that because it's it, you know having covered a lot of Virginia games, they they have a Virginia has a mentality that we're going to make you defend. Like you said, we're going to make you defend for at least 20 seconds on the defensive end. And that can be very, very fatiguing to, to have to do. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I've never played at high level of basketball. I don't know that that would be more difficult than running up and down the court with somebody who wants to play fast, like a West Virginia or somebody like that. I would think running up and down the court would be more strenuous and, and wear you out more than the defending per 20 seconds on average per possession, but maybe not. You know, that that also could be a, a scenario because that, that, that's what I mean, Virginia is very upfront about that. They they want to, you to, to they want to break your spirit with just, you know, wearing you down with the 20 seconds and then, you know, just, you know, a few seconds before the shot clock's about to go off, they, they hit a three or they, you know, they find somebody on a back cut and, and make a layup and it's just so demoralizing. And I can see a scenario where if that's three points, point shots aren't falling and, and and Wisconsin is doing something similar to that, that, that it could be very demoralizing for the Hokies as well. So I, I didn't, when I saw the matchup, I didn't think it was a good matchup. I didn't, you know, that wasn't the first thing that came to mind. Well, if they play slow, it's going to, it's going to be a good matchup for the Hokies. I, I kind of felt like, um, uh, you know, I, I felt like they'd be about a five point underdog and that's, you know, about what they are They're five and a half. And so uh, I think, you know, the experts that I trust the most, forget the Clark Kellogg's of the world. I, you know, I, I believe in those people who set the lines and have uh, stand to lose a lot of money if they're wrong. Um, and they, they think this one should be fairly easy. For, for Wisconsin. If you compare it to the other 8-9 matchups, all of them are either one or two-point lines. So this is the most lopsided of the matchups. Tech's the only ACC team that's not favored to win its first game. Now that includes Wake Forest, which plays tonight, and would be an underdog ostensibly against uh, uh, Cincinnati should it advance to the round of 64. So it's not exactly apples to apples with Wake, but everyone else who's playing in the round of 64 from the ACC is is favored, and then you probably assume that because Tech is the second lowest seeded team of every of the, of the ACC that got into the got into the uh, bracket. So, uh, with Wake being the, the lowest seeded team at eleven, so I, you know, I think there's there's an underdog card to be played there uh, by Buzz, and we've talked about it before. He's among the best in the world at it. Uh, this whole idea that well, nobody gives us a chance and we're thus against the world and what a miracle it is that we've done what we've done all up to this point. And it's certainly impressive what they've done. I think it's a little overstated sometimes how, how much of a miracle this is. I mean, you look at the, the talent level. I mean, Seth Allen's a very good player. Zach Liday came out of nowhere, but he, you watch it play, you know, he's a workhorse who, who, who really puts in a, a blue-collar effort every night he's out there. He's got you know, the best three-point shooter in program history in, in, in Justin Bibbs. You know, you got a guy who's emerged an outlaw who's now become a threat uh, from the perimeter. Uh, you've got players. Um, it's not, you know, it's not pixie dust and, and, and magic tricks necessarily that Buzz Williams has used here. He's, he's put his players in good position to succeed, which is the, obviously the number one job of a coach. So uh, full credit to him for that, but his players are also uh, performing when they're given that opportunity. You you mentioned the the sort of 
miracle turnaround. I, I wouldn't go that far with it. You know, I think Buzz is a very good coach. I think it was brought in to do exactly this and turn around a program that really had nothing going for it. Uh, so the fact that he got here in year three, I don't think it's necessarily surprising. Uh, it's still a, a very incredible turnaround. Uh, that seems like the hard part of the rebuild is to get it from a, a point of, hey, you're finishing in last place every year in the ACC to, hey, you're in the tournament. You're one of the top 68 teams in the country. Uh, you know, even more than that, when you pare it down to the, you know, at-large bids, uh, you go by the seeding. They're probably 36th or better uh, based on the seeding. Um, is this going to be the norm for Virginia Tech going forward? I mean, provide, you know, assuming that Buzz sticks around for a while and, you know, who really knows how that will go. I'm sure he'll have suitors here because of it's been an impressive job what he's done at Virginia Tech. Uh, obviously not the most storied you know, history with the basketball program here. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if there were bigger schools out there that pursued him. I think Whit Babcock would fight like heck to keep him here. Uh, that's for sure. But, you know, we, with what they have, and, you know, they're, they're playing with seven guys this year. They're playing without Chris Clark, who obviously got hurt. They have other big recruits coming in. Uh, do you see this as sort of the start of a run for Virginia Tech, where it could be a, an NCAA tournament mainstay for a couple years? Absolutely, yes. I mean, as long as Buzz Williams is here, I think that's the, that's the baseline uh, expectation is that they get in from here on out, and anything less would be uh, very disappointing. You know, get, you know, unless you had you know four major injuries during a season or something that just really threw the the team out of whack, like what happened one year with you know Coleman Collins and some of those other guys. I mean, they just had a wave of bad luck and misfortune, and and they just barely missed getting into the tournament. Uh, I could see a scenario where that might happen and you can miss the tournament. But otherwise, I think they're going to be in. I mean, Buzz is a, has demonstrated his his alacrity at getting these guys ready to play. And it's not just been here. It's been at, at Marquette. I mean, he knows what he's doing. That's the biggest difference, I think. <laughs> and I don't want to, uh, you know, shovel dirt on, on James Johnson, you know, but those last years of James Johnson, I remember going to games and just looking at the team and saying, these guys don't look like they know what they're doing. Like, it's just a it's just a mishmash of, of you know, it looks like a pickup game. You know, and I'm not a, I don't really have a trained basketball eye like I might for baseball or, or, or you know, I've probably covered more football in my life than I have, have basketball. But it doesn't take a genius to, to look at what was going on there and say, these guys need to be coached better. I mean, they have some ability. They need to be coached better, and that's what's happened. They've been coached better. They're, they're certainly um, believing in themselves more, which I think you're right. I think that is the number one hurdle you got to clear is that that belief that we're just not we're just not as good as these other guys. We're not as good as you know Duke or Florida State or, or UNC. I mean, how are we going to beat those guys? I mean, we finished in the cellar four years in a row. Well, they're they're starting to believe that they can, and then they obviously beat Duke this year. Uh, without Grayson Allen, that was a huge way to start your ACC uh, season with a, a win over the preseason number one team uh, just to say, hey, you know, if you can beat those guys, who can't you beat? And I think they've fed off that um, that momentum and, and really put together a fine closing stretch without this Chris Clark. And, you know, there was no shame in their exit in the ACC tournament to lose by six points to uh, that Florida State team, which, as we discussed last week on the podcast, you know, was a, a very big favorite against them in our eyes, uh, and 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 turned out to be. I mean, it was a it was a mismatch for the Hokies, but uh, they and, and Buzz Williams said it after the game. He said, "Look, you, what you saw tonight 
was the reason we're still playing. The reason we're going to be in the NCAA tournament is because of the way you guys still fight when they really don't have a chance. And he was right about that. I mean, you could watch that, and they, they were you, – you felt the tide turn. It was an 18-to-1 run, and yet somehow they lost by six. You know, that they covered the spread. Um, and that which is know, the important part. <laughs> well, that, to me, that, that covering the spread is, is, is your – that's that's how you performed against expectations in my mind. How is you, what is your record against the spread? Hokies are sixteen and eleven against the spread. That's pretty darn good, uh, and that means that you know the at least on one level their expectations have been shattered. Uh, and so kudos to to Buzz and the team. You know, Aaron, the NCAA does not condone gambling in any form whatsoever. Its players are not to join fantasy leagues or join any kind of gambling whatsoever. But go to our site and fill out this bracket that we're advertising on the front page of NCAA.com. The hypocrisy is pretty deep there with that whole thing. Uh, you know, kind of expanding out and looking at that bracket. Uh, you know, it is a tough quarter of the bracket that Virginia Tech is in. You've got the defending national champion at Villanova. You've got probably the hottest team in basketball right now at Duke is the number two seed. Uh, Baylor's the three at one point was the number one team in the country this year. Uh, Florida is a pretty good four seed. Virginia is a, a five seed. Obviously, familiarity with uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, SMU, I think, is a six seed that could make some noise. I actually have them going a couple rounds uh, in my bracket. Yeah, you want to talk about you want to talk about hottest team going in? It's not Duke. It's them. It's SMU. Those are the guys who who are uh, as on fire as anybody. I can't remember how many they've won in a row, but I think it's something like eighteen in a row. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, as, they're as hot as anybody. Yeah, I have them going two rounds and losing to Duke, but. Uh, you know, kind of looking at the bracket as a whole, that seems like one of the tougher regions that are out there, wouldn't you think? I think so. Yeah, I mean, anytime you get the ACC champion at the number two seed in your bracket, and you get the number one overall seed in Villanova in your bracket, and you have to beat them before you can even think about getting to the Sweet 16, yeah, that's tough. Um, you know, I don't think UVA or Florida – or either either one of those teams is all that daunting to to Virginia Tech, and I don't think an SMU or a Baylor, you know, if that were to come out of that other side, would be all that um, that daunting to Virginia Tech e- or either. I think in the Hoagie's case, your your biggest test is right now. You know, you can get out of this first round, and then you know just cross your fingers and hope every three pointer falls in Villanova. And then all of a sudden, if that if that were to happen, and you were to pull off uh, what would would be, you know, the upset of the tournament, I think to that point, uh, who knows what happens after that? You know, I think we're getting way ahead of ourselves, uh, even considering that. But but you're right; it, 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 it's one of those scenarios where, just like we talked about with with Tech beating Duke in their ACC opener, you know, like there's there's some huge challenges right off the bat here that if you were to get by them, I don't think you would feel like you uh, were overmatched against anybody. But getting by them is, is the big big problem. I mean, in my bracket, I have the Hokies losing the first-round game. And I, I have Virginia actually winning two games uh, and then losing to Villanova. I think Villanova is as good as their, as their seeding would indicate. And, um, you know, I think this Wisconsin, Wisconsin team does have a legit beat to, to be seeded, uh, you know, uh, better than they are. So we'll see. I mean, they did lose what five out of their last seven games in the regular season. Wisconsin did. So they they weren't they weren't coming in here guns blazing, but uh, they they seem to have 
reclaimed a little bit of their confidence in that in that Big Ten tournament, making the final. Um, so it's a tough task for the Hokies. But if the Hokies win on Thursday, uh, you know, I, I like Virginia Tech and the points, whatever the points wind up being against Phil Hill. I think that I think that is a matchup where they can bombs away, you know, bombs away with their threes and just hope they hit. And you because know, they're not going to win. Tech's not going to win with defense. I mean, they're about middle of the pack in, in offensive or in defensive efficiency, adjusted for possessions and all that stuff. They're about one seventy out of out of three fifty. You know, that's you know right in the middle. They're, that's that's not what they hang their hat on. We know what it is, and it's. it's Making your threes, and they shoot up. They put up a bunch of them, and they're going to have to make them. And if they do, this this could be a, a really exciting journey for for Hokie. Yeah, I think that eight nine is always an interesting uh, team once it gets to the second round. Uh, you know, I'm mm. picking I'm picking Wisconsin in my bracket because I have to pick my school. I don't. That's not really a you know vote of confidence behind them. <laughs> I really don't like this matchup for the Badgers, uh, and I could probably call it a coin flip on who's going to win this either way. Uh, but you see those eight, nine teams get into that second round game against the one seed and they've just got nothing to lose at that point. I mean, if the one seed goes out on the first weekend, that's an embarrassing thing for them. Uh, if the eight, nine loses to the one seed in the second round, that was supposed to happen. So I think sometimes you see those eight, nine teams get in that second round and they just play loose and free. And, you know, a lot of times you, you see that's where the upsets happen is where they just go out and like, we've got nothing to lose here. We're just yeah, we're gonna you know bomb threes on these guys, and we you know we have you know no qualms about doing that. And if they fall, then then you have a pretty good chance at an upset. And if they don't, whatever, you're supposed to lose in that situation anyway. So, uh, you know that's always the intriguing round to me. Uh, you know the first round is is really interesting because you get all the you know the matchups and who's overrated and who's not. And there's all these upsets and stuff. But I think the second round is where it's like okay. You know, even the one seed can lose in the second round. I think that's what really makes it interesting once you get that far. So, uh, you know, maybe some people are upset they got in the 8-9 game because you get the one seed the next round. But, you know, you got to play good teams eventually in the tournament anyway. So I, I don't think that's too big of a deal. Uh, you are the gambling expert here uh, on the podcast, as usual. So give me some upset picks uh, in the first round that you're looking at for some of these games. Okay. Uh, Seeding-wise, not spread wise, but seeding wise, uh, Wichita State is a lock. Uh, they're a ten seed, and they are playing. Who are they playing? Dayton. Uh, whoever Dayton. They're playing Dayton. Dayton's a seven seed. Wichita State is actually a six point favorite in Vegas. So lock that up. If someone's just you know you're the secretary or the you know the the, the groundskeeper Willie of of your establishment is is just filling out based on seedings and looks at that matchup and says, well, I'll just move ahead to seven seed over ten. You've got a major advantage if you take Wichita State there because they are uh, a massive favorite to win that game. Uh, so, so go ahead and lock them up. Um, I like I like Wake Forest. Now, this this could become uh, moot after tonight if, they, if Wake Forest were to lose in a coin flip game against K-State. But I do like Wake if they do get out of that game to, to upset Cincinnati. Um, Middle Tennessee, as we discussed before, I like them to to beat Minnesota. That game's a pick'em, a twelve-five game. That's a pick'em. That that's your that's your biggest uh, indicator right there that 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 could go in favor of the twelve. And then I like the Middle Tennessee to knock off Butler too. So uh, get to the Sweet Sixteen where they would lose to to North Carolina. 
Um, looking at a little farther down the road, I like Kansas to lose in the second round, uh, not make the Sweet 16. So who? And who do you I'm, have them losing to? Uh, I have them losing to Michigan State. Now, oh, Miami, Michigan State's horrible this year. This is a horrible Michigan State team. It, you really think they're going to beat Kansas? It doesn't matter. It I doesn't don't even matter. have them beating Miami. That's how bad I think Michigan well, State is this year. Your your play is, is the is the chalk play. You Miami is a two point favorite in that first round matchup against Michigan State. Miami surprisingly bad against the spread. The only team that's worse than Kansas against the spread this year is Miami. Can you believe that? I mean, I don't think of the Jim Laranega squad as, as being a, an underachiever, but they've been an underachiever. And given Tom Izzo's reputation in March, uh, they just you know they weren't any good the year they beat uh, Virginia. It, it, they weren't any good. They were the better than season. this. They were, but this not is not that much better. This Michigan they, State team, you maybe could have even argued, didn't deserve to be in the tournament. I mean, they they made it as a nine, so obviously they were in. But if this has been, I mean, they, there was a while there where they thought their you know twenty year streak or whatever it is was going to end because they were just that bad. Well, and that and that, but that's where I'm making my stand. That's you know you don't you know, I don't think you take a, a million upset picks. I don't think that's the route to riches. Here, uh, but I think you got to make one or two stands, and that's fine. I'm taking Michigan State to upset Kansas. Now, I have Iowa State making the Final Four. They're five seed in that same region. So I nearly uh, did with know. Iowa State, and you know why I changed it? Because I've been burned by Iowa State before. I can't remember what year it was. It might have even been last year. I had them in the Final Four, and they lost in the first round. Maybe it was two years ago. And I told well, myself, last year they lost. They lost in the Elite Eight last year to Virginia. Okay, maybe maybe it was two yeah. or three years ago. Whatever it was, they lost in the first round, and I told myself, never again. I will never forget that experience with Iowa State. They will not burn me again. Uh, of course, I had used that same theory with Villanova uh, and had them going out early last year, and then they go on to win the whole thing. So, you know, really, what do I know about picking brackets? <laughs> well, I, I do like that Iowa State. They almost won at Kansas. They should have won at Kansas. Uh, I watched that game. I remember that game. Um, you know, you don't make judgments based on one game, but they, they, they're very athletic. Uh, they can do a lot of things, and, and I, I like their chances, too. Uh, you, especially when you look at who they've got. You know, they got Nevada, then Purdue or Vermont. I mean, either one of those is pretty, pretty easy, I think, to, to predict them to win. Uh, you know, and then they've got uh, either Kansas or, or Michigan State. We've already seen that Kansas-Iowa State matchup on, on Kansas' floor that's uh, – that Iowa State should have won. Um, so, but I've I've got Michigan State in that matchup, so it won't even matter because they won't even play games. Uh, on the other side of you, we talked about SMU. I like SMU to win two games. Uh, that's probably the biggest uh, upset I have going on that side of of the bracket. I like West Virginia to make the Elite Eight, where they run into Arizona and get beat. Um, I like you know pretty much chalk. I like Florida State versus Arizona in that Sweet 16 matchup. So, uh, you know, once you get to the Elite Eight, the only the only team that's uh, kind of a, an outlier in the Elite Eight for me would, I guess, be um, I guess be Iowa State, you know, or you know, because that's once you get to that level, that's uh, you know your blue bloods have usually emerged by that point, and I've got a lot of uh, Arizonas and Gonzagas and. and uh, UCLA's in those in those rounds, so we'll see how that works out. But um, I, I there, there, you know, I, I feel pretty good about some of these early round upsets, uh, quote unquote upsets. 
particularly like the Wichita State one. That's, that's if you take nothing else from this conversation, and when you're filling out your bracket, make sure you take 10th seed in Wichita State over number seven seed state and tell them AMAC sent you. When you're making these picks, now the ACC was, you know, the, the conference that had the most teams in the tournament. And I know when you make bowl picks, you're like, don't pick the MAC. Don't pick any teams to the MAC when you're doing these bowl picks. Do you pick by conference when you go into a, a tournament like this? Go the oh the ACC was the best conference. So I think I'll ride them through this tournament and pick a lot of their teams to go far. No, not necessarily. I mean, there's, there's that one year I think you had the Missouri Valley Conference, maybe you know, send four or five teams in, into the you know like you take note of that because you, you maybe you would dismiss a Missouri Valley Conference team as having played nobody, but if you know if five teams out of their league are making the then that's that's the equivalent of a of a power five league. You know, they're you're you're getting tested every night. That means more. Your record means more. Uh, so th- in that sense, I do consider a uh, conference. But you know, I mean, the Pac-12 is not very good. It's not deep. Uh, but I like Arizona to advance far, and I like U- UCLA to advance far. I got both of those teams going to the Elite Eight. That's the, you know, those are two teams that I've watched and, and been very impressed with. Uh, you know they they match up well athletically with, with almost anybody they're going to face. You know, uh, but so so to answer your question, no, not really. Um, and I, I don't discount somebody because they play in a weaker conference. And but but there are instances in which I'll say, well, you know, they had to really run a gauntlet there. Their record's pretty good, having had to run a gauntlet. So I'll uh, I'll give them the the nod in this in this particular matchup. So so who do you have in your final four? Give me give me your final four picks. Okay, that's uh, and I want to hear yours too. But I've I've got uh, Duke, Iowa State, uh, North Carolina, and Arizona. And then my final is um, Arizona and UNC. It's very chalky, and I've got UNC winning the final. So I'm I, a, I still like that UNC team. I'm almost in lockstep with you. I filled this out. Yeah. 30 minutes ago, so I might still go back and revise. I have Duke and Arizona on one side. I have Kansas and North Carolina on the other. And I have Duke and North Carolina meeting in the final. Uh, and part of that is just because I sort of want to see that matchup again. <laughs> like, you know, I sure. with these with these brackets, you're kind of picking, like, teams that you like or matchups that you want to see. I think that'd be incredible to see them play again uh, in the biggest game of the season. I don't think they've I don't think they've ever met in the final four, have they? If they have it, it's, it's been very. I, I wish I could remember this. Somebody pointed out. I think it was Teal. Somebody pointed out that it, that maybe they've met once ever in the tournament. I mean, it, it's some ridiculously low amount of times that they've actually played each other in the NCAA tournament. Given how often they've played the regular season, ACC tournament, etc., um, you would have thought they would have hooked up several times, multiple times in the NCAA tournament, but it just hasn't happened. So if that were your national championship game, woo, that would be <laughs> as big of a, especially in our region, you know, where we live, uh, in ACC country, that would be one of the most uh, most watched games ever, for sure, in college basketball history. Yeah, well, like you, I have North Carolina winning it. So, you know, chalky chalk, nothing very interesting here from either of us. Uh, that's our bracket rundown. Uh, it's kind of a downtime in football right now. I mean, it's still another, uh, you know, six days until uh, spring ball starts for the Hokies. 
they have their pro day tomorrow, and pro day is not something that's very interesting to talk about uh, afterward, let alone beforehand. I mean, there's certainly not. Oh, what are you going to do with a pro day? Well, run and jump and do drills and stuff for pro scouts. Uh, obviously a more important day for guys that didn't get to go to the combine, guys like Augie Conte, Jonathan McLaughlin, uh, stuff like that. I'll be there tomorrow to, to give some coverage on that. Uh, in the last week, there still has been uh, sort of big news for one former Hokie, and that's Tyrod Taylor, uh, who re-upped with the Buffalo Bills. There was a question about whether they wanted to take on that big of a cap figure for him this year, which I think was like $19 million or maybe $16 million, something like that. It's a really... Uh, really high number, and there's a lot of guaranteed money that uh, I think they were sort of balking at paying him. He restructured it, so that's a little bit lower. Uh, he still gets to be the quarterback in Buffalo. Uh, I don't know how much you follow the Bills in the NFL outside of gambling purposes, but uh, do you think that's a good decision for Tyrod to, to stick around in Buffalo? Yeah, I, I really like Tyrod. I've always liked Tyrod. I mean, I remember meeting Tyrod the first day he was uh, – available to the media was, you know, here he is, the next big thing, Tyron, he was yes sir, no sir guy, so polite, and and he was just, he just it was easy to embrace him right away, you know, because it was, everyone would say, well, you're going to be the quarterback maybe as a freshman, he was like, oh, no, 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 let's not, let's not go that far, you know, he was he's very humble, um, and he's earned everything he's got, and I'm, I'm happy for him, uh, I wonder if he Waited to well, I guess he didn't wait to see where the Hokies were being sent before it started to go to Buffalo or go back to Buffalo because um, it's kind of interesting that uh, the Tech's going to Buffalo and the, they're their most I guess most prominent. Would you say Tyron's their most prominent alum currently in the NFL, or would you go with one of the defensive backs? Uh, I'd still I mean, say I, I'd still say Cam Chancellor, based on yeah, he's yeah. won a Super Bowl, he's been a Pro Bowler a couple times. I mean, Tyron is the no, most yeah, no doubt. He's the more visible position, but yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, Chancellor's had, had a more decorated career, but I, yeah, I guess, guess from the, the, the perspective of uh, media coverage and the fact that you're playing uh, the position that everyone talks about all the time, uh, Tyron, pretty, pretty big star in the league, and, and so uh, no, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a good move or a bad move. I mean, everything I had read, I guess, coming up, heading up to this was that, you know, it looked like it was the end of the end of the line for him there. Like, he was going to be a free agent. Uh, is, am I, was I reading that right? Was he, like, did it look like he was going to be a free agent? Was this a bit of a surprise that he's back in Buffalo? Well, I, I think the Bills were determined not to pay him what the previous contract was. And I think the way they wrote that previous contract was, well, this is going to be very front-loaded, and you're going to get that first year, and then we'll see kind of how he plays out, and then if he works out, they'll restructure it over time. Uh, well, Tyrod sort of was in a position of strength because there's so many uh, NFL teams that need quarterbacks right now. You look at the you know the market for Tony Romo right now, a guy who didn't even play last year, uh, has been really injury-prone lately. There are probably a couple teams that are going to be vying for his services here. So uh, I think from that standpoint, Tyrod probably, I mean, he probably could have been a free agent and gotten more money to go to, like, Cleveland or something like that. But uh uh, you know, would you want to go to Cleveland and restart again? I mean, the Bills aren't great, but at least they have some offensive pieces in place. Uh, and he has familiarity with their, their – I mean, it's a new coaching staff, uh, so that will be an interesting thing. They have a defensive-minded coach. Sean McDermott is the new head coach there. So, you know, just once I kind of like to see Tyrod go into a situation where they have an offensive-minded coach uh, and an offensive-minded philosophy. But, you know, he did 
okay, all things considered last year. I, you know, I wouldn't put him in that elite group of quarterbacks or anything like that, but I certainly wouldn't put him in the bottom tier of starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And as you can see, the market for those guys right now where Mike Glennon is getting $15 million a season, he hasn't played in two years, essentially. Uh, you know, Brock Eiswaller last year, I mean, that was a mistake, obviously, by the Texans who had to dump that contract, but he got a ton of money. So uh, it's, it's certainly more favorable for quarterbacks right now if you can play a little bit uh, to get a pretty decent contract. Uh, we'll see if, if that means that the Bills can get out of this sort of NFL purgatory where they're not quite bad enough to completely rebuild, but they're not quite good enough to make any kind of playoff run. Uh, you know, that's right. a tough, that's a tough division to do anything in with, with the Patriots, you know, having owned that division for the last 15 plus years. Uh, but I think Tyrod coming back and the familiarity he has with that offense, and the personnel, uh, I think that's probably a good situation for him overall. Yeah, it's definitely a good time to be a mid tier quarterback. <laughs> I mean, really, you, you can make a lot of money doing that, uh, as you said, so. Uh, good luck to him. I mean, I hope he, I hope he breaks out. I hope he has one of those all-pro type years. Who knows? It's, uh, if he, if he gets the opportunity, which sounds like he will, then maybe, maybe he'll, you know, bust out and become a, a next level type of quarterback, which would be great to see. He's always, he's always lived up to expectations in the past. Let's put it that way. I mean, he came to Virginia Tech with with touring expectations, and he lived up to every bit of it. So uh, he's he's that kind of guy. So. Um, well, I mean, I, do you think do you think there's some karma here that when the brackets were released, not only am I going to New York for this week, but if, if either of these teams were to advance to the next round, I will be filtered to New York City. I think so. It, I think it's it's, it's might... like a reverse Bayheim. You've been bad mouthing New York so much that the NCAA tournament's like, oh, Bayheim plays Greensboro, and McFarlane might have to go back to New York. I mean, where's the redneck division? I mean, I need to I need to find a a team that regularly gets sent to the redneck. I've had to go to New York for for UVA in the past, and and as we talked about before, it, it is different. Madison Square Garden is better and, and much more uh, exciting, and the city is much more what people think about when they think of New York City. But um, it's still New York. I mean, come on, man. There's there's just so many places we could go that that would be uh, warmer and. and happier and friendlier and uh you i don't know, i don't think cherokee north I, I don't think cherokee north carolina has an, uh, an arena big enough to house the final four so or a region <laughs> well, if i clear out some gaming tables there. and put in some temporary seats maybe they can set something up they have a very nice amphitheater there but yes it might take a few more visits from me and a few more deposits from me before they can afford the arena but uh all right, well, I guess maybe we should wrap this up. I mean, there ain't much, you know, there's not much more in terms of football to talk about, is there? Or is no, there's, there's definitely not. So okay. we'll, wish you, we'll wish you good luck getting to Buffalo first off. I know there's plenty of snow up there. Uh, you know, Berman drove up a couple days early just to avoid all that. Uh, we'll see if you can get through the uh, tangled air f- flight system that's uh, going on in the Northeast right now. Uh, but if you do, it well, seems they're, like – I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. They're, they're – no, I'm sorry. They're, yeah, they're canceling hockey games tonight up in that area, so that's uh, that's never a good sign for your if you have a flight. I checked the flight; every, all flights were canceled today. I don't know how that works. It seems like in the past when I've had a flight canceled, like you know, they don't like you're not at the front of the line for the next flight. Like you know, the, the flights that were scheduled go on as scheduled. So maybe I'll actually luck out on that front because you, you remember that. I mean, you had that situation in Shreveport, right? Oh, yeah, Where, that was horrible. 
24 hours in Dallas airport, just, oh, that was miserable. Yeah. We don't want to relive that trip. No, we don't. No, we don't. Other than the, the cash one, the rubber band banks one at the Bossier City Casino. It was really nice. The Berman says uh, there's one within walking distance of our hotel. So if I do get there, it will be a happy, uh, happy, happy night. I think he said that just to motivate you to get there. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we wish you luck getting up there. Hopefully you'll see some good basketball up there, uh, some interesting basketball with this matchup they have. Uh, we'll reconvene next week. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll still be talking about basketball next week, but we'll definitely have some spring football at least to talk about uh, on our football podcast. So uh, we'll wrap this one up. Well, thank you for listening. This is Andy Bitter for Aaron McFarlane. Talk to you next time.